want to go live on video but are a bit unsure where to start? Or maybe you already go live a lot but you are scared to sell. Download for free the Live Authentic Storytelling Guide. Six steps to infuse storytelling into your live videos. You'll get practical structure to help you convert your audience from raving fans to loyal customers. Go to www.livestorytellingguide.com and get your free guide today. Today's guest on the podcast is truly an inspiration, somebody who has overcome so much adversity. You are going to leave so incredibly inspired by not only her story and her perseverance, but you will know that you can overcome anything in your life as well. Gina Fit is a certified online personal trainer, weight loss, and breast cancer coach. Gina's philosophy is that our intuition is our most faithful guide. None of our problems are permanent. There's a spiritual solution to every problem, and that radical joy lives inside all of us if we look deeply enough within. So on this episode, we discuss why it's important to pay attention to your emotional health, the importance of tuning in and listening, and finding the lessons in adversity. As I said, if you've ever struggled with anything, and who hasn't you all, this episode is for you to come away ready to take on any challenge. This is the Creative Soulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Demas. Let's go. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. I am really excited for this conversation. A mutual friend hooked us up, so to speak. Yes, she did. She's great for that. And when she did, we we had a discussion, and within seconds, I said, will you come be on my podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It was about two sentences in. So for my audience who doesn't know you, and I'm so excited to introduce them to you, tell everyone, because we're going to start with the end and then go back to the beginning, tell everyone uh, who you are, what you do, and all of those good things. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I was born in Jamaica. I migrated to London to live with a family member. And then from there, I met my husband, who's Spanish, and now I'm living in Spain. I'm an online fitness and weight loss coach, personal trainer. Like you, I'm very multi-passionate. Um, <laughs> so I love, I love lots of things. And I don't know, I'm sure I'm leaving something out. But yes, my bread and butter, so to speak, is um, online personal training. And I recently hopped over to what's considered the dark side and I went and joined the network marketing company. I can't believe it myself, but it was meant to be so. <laughs> oh, okay. We're going to get into that, but I want to go back to, you dropped like five bombs there. You were like, I'm from Jamaica. I, I married somebody who's Spanish. I went through breast cancer. We got a lot to unpack here. So let's back up a bit. Okay. Right, right. So talk to me about your upbringing in Jamaica and why you decided to leave? Okay, I didn't decide to leave, first of all. Let's make that very clear. I was forced to leave (laughs) because, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, poverty in Jamaica. And so my family, my background, and I come from an impoverished family. And um, I have 
aunts and uncles spread out over England, Canada, and the USA. That's what Jamaicans do. They get an opportunity to go abroad, and so they just take it and run with it. And so um, one of my aunts, um, who had been living in, in the UK since uh, she's probably a part of the Windrush generation, or just shortly after that, and she went to Jamaica when I was eight years old. She fell in love with me because apparently I was very intelligent, hardworking, helpful, blah, blah, blah. And she said she was going to send for me. And back then, everyone's excited about going to foreign, as we call it, right? <laughs> and foreign is anywhere, just anywhere once you have to take a plane. And so long story short, she didn't uh, send for me, as we call it, until the mid-90s. By then, I was in my mid-teens, and I didn't want to go. By then, you know, I had already made my friends in, in high school and everything. But my mom and dad were like, well, you can't stay here. Um, this is your opportunity if you ever want to think about going to university. So off I went on my own, on a plane. The ticket was bought. We didn't need a visa back then to go to England from Jamaica, being a part of the Commonwealth. And so I thought I was going to be sent to school, be sent to university. I was like, I want to go to Oxford University or Cambridge. And one of my cousins was like, you're very ambitious. And I thought she was giving me a compliment and maybe she wasn't. I don't know. But anyway, I ended up pretty much sending myself to, to school. I funded my education, you know, doing um, various jobs. One of them, well, all of them were below minimum wage even. I worked in a Turkish factory. Oh, my gosh, I have to tell you this story. <laughs> I worked in a factory. Um I say Turkish because it's owned by Turkish people and they made clothes for various chains in the UK and I got a job there. I was forced again to take that job and so I had to do that while I was going to school and it would be, I'd be paid cash in hand and that's what I mainly used to fund my, the rest of my education and my aunt controlled all the money. So your aunt sent for you? Yes. But then once you got there, it sounds like you were sort of on your own. Yes. Okay. How can I make this sound in the most possible way? Because we, <laughs> I mean, as positive as possible. Um, yeah, she sent for me, but um, what I had in mind was completely different from reality. So then I was forever indebted. There was nothing that I could do to repay the fact that she took me out of poverty. Yeah, from Jamaica. So I lived with her for the first four years. That meant doing everything like Cinderella, um, without wanting to go into it too much. But um, but yes, it was pretty much like that. I if I went out with my friends, I had to be back by 12. Even if we were going to the cinema and the movie was supposed to be starting at 10, I had to get my behind back home before midnight. <laughs> you were gonna turn into a pumpkin, basically. Exactly, exactly. And there would be hell to pay if I didn't make it back on time. So and it was just vicious cycle. What was in you emotionally at that point, having come from poverty, living in London, and really sort of trying to figure it all out? Like, what, what was your emotional life like? Wow. Um, where do I start? It was, it was really tough. I, I expected, as I said, I expected something completely different. I don't know how I did it. I quickly realized that it wasn't going to be a bed of roses, as um, a lot of, you know, Jamaicans tend to think. In fact, yes, the very first time I heard the word jet lag was, I think, on day two after living in England, because I was just sleeping all the time. I was so tired, you know, the time change and everything. And my aunt said to me, I'm guessing, obviously, I won't say it in Patois, which is the dialect in Jamaica, but basically she said, 
I hope you're jet lagged because I don't like lazy people around me. So then I was like, oh shit. Okay. So, so I had a lot to prove. And so it was really hard, but because, you know, I knew that my parents, they were expecting me, me to do well and, you know, to take the opportunity because they'd always said, I know you won't let me down sort of thing. So I t- internalized all of that and um, I didn't let them know anything that was going on. So yeah. You didn't. You didn't let no. them know that what you were No, going because my mom really looked up to my aunt, her bigger mm-hmm. sister, and I think my mom would have probably thought I was exaggerating. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to suck it all up and just get on with it. So, yeah, that's what I did. I did everything in the house. She had a catering business. I ended up doing pretty much all the work. I'd go to sleep at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. That's after college and then the Turkish factory and then kitchen. And, yeah, so it was really tough. Um, Even on Friday evenings that she's Adventist, and so you're not supposed to work from Friday evening to Saturday evening. But Mm -hmm. except when I was doing the catering, I was okay to work then in the kitchen. But I couldn't watch TV or anything like that. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. How did that propel you forward then? How did you get out of that cycle? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was really tough. I had one friend that I confided in and and she said, no, this is not fair. She said, you should come and live with me. And I thought, um, I saw some things there because she had some issues with her own mom as well. She was living with her mom and her mom knew the story and said, yes, you should move out and come and live with us. And I thought, well... I don't want to jump out of the frying pan and jump into the fire. I may as well just take this out because the moment I leave, I'm not going back. That was what I had very clear. And so I, in want of a better word, I endured for four years. And then I moved out when I was 19, turning 20. And there was, I just knew that I had to make it on my own because I was not going to go back. And so I gave her ample notice. In fact, I visited Jamaica um, yeah, three years later, and I told my parents that I was planning on moving out, and they said, you can't do that, she needs you, and blah, 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 and I said, well, you don't know what I'm going through, you can't, you know, you can't imagine what I'm going through, but I'm just letting you know that I'm going to move out, and even then, I gave everyone a lot of notice, and then everyone was still um, disappointed, because I was ungrateful, how could I, how could I try to want to make a life of my own, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it, was, it was very tough. It was very tough, but I knew I had to do it. What a survivor you are. What a thriver. Thank you. Yes. I, I didn't realize at the time. I just thought this is something that I have to do and I have to make it work. So yeah, that's, that's what I did. And as I said, she also controlled all the money that I was earning back then. Um, and she said she, she was saving it for me. But um, <laughs> yeah, when, it, when the time came for me to leave, I didn't see any of that. She told my mom that she was saving it and that she was using that to fund my studies, which she only paid for for the first year. And yeah, all of that. So I just knew I had to make it somehow. So I took on two jobs and um, I made it work somehow. And how then did you find fitness? Like, how did that come about? So when the moment I hit 13, because one of my cousins, um, they recently opened up a gym um, not far from where I was working. And my cousin had joined and she was saying, this gym is great fitness first. And so the moment I turned 18, I said, you know, okay, I'm, I can join now. And so I joined and I fell in love with it immediately because I just felt a release going to the gym. I literally used to do three hours in the gym, you know, some days, because I loved it. And I also felt like that was my fortress, you know, just being Mm. away from 
from home. And of course, um, you know, so I'd do college in the morning and then the factory for a few hours. And then I'd go to the gym for a few hours. And so I'd get home. Sometimes I'd get home about nine o'clock or nine thirty. And of course, she wouldn't be pleased because where have you been? And why do you need to spend so many hours in the gym? She was like, you're a PhD girl in England. This is an... <laughs> In England, um, back, I don't know if they still do it, but in the Sun, which is a newspaper, I'm going to say a tacky one. It's a tabloid, page, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If so on page three, they'd have these models, right, in lingerie. <laughs> so my aunt literally asked me one day if I was one of those page three girls, because why do I need to spend so much time in the gym? <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that was my release. The gym was my release. And I quickly fell in love with it. And um, looking back now, I think, yeah, it saved me in so many ways. Even, you know, like, we'll get on to the breast cancer story if we have time. But, yeah, fitness was just, it became such a big part of my life. I remember as soon as I got off the bus and started walking down my street, my whole demeanor would just change. One day I literally caught myself from this happy Gina to just like yeah it was it was crazy and so then I got to the door and I had to like fix up again you know just to kind of put on a face kind of thing so yeah and um I'd get in and sometimes I'd be in my room and 10 minutes later she'd be like there's stuff to do in the kitchen and I'd be like I'm I'm just tired and she was like oh you don't know what tired is I used to have three jobs when I just came into this country and yeah but it's all she knew. It sounds like the gym provided, like you were saying, a safe space for you. Yes. To, let, to explore who you were outside of that survival mode that you were in. And you were able to channel energy into it. Absolutely, yes. Then how did that become a career? How did you go from, I'm, I'm at the gym channeling energy, to I'm now going to train others? Right, yes. So, okay, so for the first few years, it was great. And then I ended up getting a job in the gym part-time and they were offering all the employees, even the receptionist, anyone who wanted to become a fitness trainer, we were offered the opportunity to do so. And so I talked to a few friends and family members and I said, oh, I'm going to, I said, I really love this because I was already working out with a few people in the gym as well. And, um, you know, someone who I really looked up to said, there's no money in personal training. Why do you want to do that for? And then also my family, I had my family to think about because I was already sending money back home for them as well. And I thought, oh yeah, I guess it's probably not the right thing to do. So instead I went and studied business and economics. So I did that online at the Open University whilst I was working, obviously. And um, and I chose I chose business and economics because, of course, it's very broad. And I thought, okay, I can have a career out of this. So when I had just started, I was a receptionist um, for a software company. And then shortly after finishing my degree, I got into one of the top four accountancy firms, um, a multinational firm. And then I started out as a PA and I managed to work my way up. I got a role in finance. And so it was really paying the bills and it was paying my family's bills as well. But it was sucking the life out of me. It was just it really wasn't for me. I couldn't express myself the way I wanted to. I had to be suited and booted every day, which is just not my thing because I'm a tomboy at heart. 
and I just felt so stifled and there were lots of microaggressions as well mm. in the workplace and you know I had to work twice as hard to get half the recognition I just yeah except the money you know that kept me in it for as long as it did it just wasn't for me but I ended up doing that for quite a few years and then I had a period of two years where I was completely stressed out and I thought I was literally going to end up in a mental institution. But then something else was going on. I, a lump was in my breast that was growing that I was too busy to, to go to the to see the doctors about. By then I was married. This sounds all jumbled up because I don't want to be talking for five hours. We'll just go, Gina, we've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. It's all fascinating. So I'm loving it. <laughs> So yeah, by then I had, um, you know, uh, married to my, my Spanish um, hubby and, you know, I said, I, I have to quit. So I said, I, I can't take this anymore. And he kept saying, fine, wait until you find something else. And looking back, I shouldn't have listened because his salary was good enough for both of us as well anyway. Um, but long story short, I stayed on until I found another role in the same firm, but it seemed like it was going to be a bit less challenging less taxing mentally and emotionally and that was the week when I went to get the lump checked out and a week later I got the results from the biopsy that they did that it was actually malignant I was like what yeah that was a total shock because of course I don't drink I hate alcohol I don't drink I don't smoke and I was going to the gym like five six times a week I was like what and I was in my 20s as well my late 20s you were quote-unquote healthy I was quote-unquote healthy, exactly, but I, back then I wasn't paying attention to the mental and emotional health. I didn't right. realize how important that part was. It is crucial. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize. I was just paying attention to the physical aspect and, you know, my nutrition and so on, but yeah, they all go hand in hand. And when you think of it now, of course, in retrospect, you can go back and be like, of course, I was in fight or flight from... Yeah. From age 13. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. For all that teenage years, into your 20s, into a stressful job and position. So, of course. Exactly. Of course, you were developing dis-ease in the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, that's, um, you know... When I realized after I I got the diagnosis and um, got over the shock and the anger because I thought, you know, initially I was like, this is not fair. Why me? Blah, blah, blah. I had a little pity party of one. And then very quickly, it it seemed to happen very quickly. But I confided in a friend and she told me to read the book called The Secret. And I read that book in less than 24 hours. And I just found peace. So then I accepted, you know, what was, and I said, okay, this is what it is. And now I've got to beat it because I also had a two year old daughter then. And of course I had to survive for her. So I found peace. I accepted that actually nobody deserves cancer regardless of your lifestyle. So if it happens to be me, then the only way is to think, okay, how can I be this thing? rather than, you know, having, yeah, just um, feeling sorry for myself. So that ended very quickly, thankfully. And yeah, I I even picked up myself and went to Turkey on a girly holiday with my friends, with my bald head and my wig and my meds. (laughs) And my husband was like, what if something happens to you? I said, there are hospitals in Turkey. What's the big deal? And, you know, and then, so I talked to my oncologist, though, before, just to set his mind at ease, and we went in, and she said, I think it would do you 
a whole lot of good. Absolutely, you should go on as well. So that's what I did. And yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. What lessons did you learn from the cancer experience? Because obviously you come out the other side, you're healthy. Yeah. Are in remission. Yes, I'm healthy. Touch wood. Touch, yes. knock, uh, knock, knock on, knock, knock on. Knock, knock, yes. Absolutely no trace of cancer in my body. What lessons? Somewhere along, along the way, I realized that we have to be compassionate. I learned that there's advantage in adversity, that whenever something bad is happening to us, there's a lesson inside of it. And sometimes I think, you know, sometimes some, some people say, why do bad things always keep happening to me? And I'm thinking, maybe you haven't yet learned the lesson that you need to learn from that. So that was kind of my, one of my takeaways. I also had to forgive because I was holding on to a lot of anger and resentment towards my family. And I just had to let that go because it was causing a lot of tension in my body. And I also learned that you really have to tune in and listen to that voice inside. And that goes for everything. I mean, it's great to get advice from friends, family, everyone else, but then we always have to turn inwards. So I learned that as well. And for example, when I started chemotherapy, I was doing a lot of research even before I had my first uh, chemo cycle and uh, something told me that I should also do alternative treatment and I spoke to the the team my med team and they absolutely spoke out against it it's not good it will interfere with the meds blah 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 and I went home and I just sat with that and I thought this is natural. How can something that's a plant be bad for me? And so, you know, and it was a plant that we use a lot in Jamaica for external things as well as internal. And so I decided to use it as well. And I didn't tell them anything. And a lot of people would have been shitting bricks thinking, oh my God, you know, (laughs) sorry, that's another British. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I thought, no, I, 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 I believe in this thing. And so I did that and I did, um, you know, colonic irrigation as well. And I felt like everything helped me. So whereas I respected, you know, the doctors, they studied years and years for what for their profession. I also thought, well, before science, we had to use what nature gave us. So I, I just listened to that and I, I went ahead and did that. And, and then the tumor, I guess it's a combination of my beliefs and, and everything else, but the tumor started shrinking so fast. When I went back for the second cycle, 14 days later, the oncologist was like, oh my God, this is shrinking already. She was amazed. And she was like, I'd lost my hair by then, all of my hair. I looked like your, my head was like yours, mate. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually loved it. I didn't even mind. <laughs> I was like, you know, I can now just tend them to the shower literally every single day and not worry about, oh my God, it's going to take me hours to dry my hair. And so, gosh, what was I saying? I can't remember. <laughs> Talk so much. Some things really stood out to me. Some things really stood out okay. to me. And yeah. that, again, you are this survivor. And not only a survivor, you're somebody who didn't let any of it weigh you down and you're thriving and you are a successful, amazing, beautiful human being who is sharing your light with others. How did you come to this self-acceptance? Like, how did you get through the drama that you went through so quickly? Like, what is it in you that is able to, to allow, to let go, to accept 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, it goes back to what I said before about finding the lesson or the advantage in, in adversity, um, because I then realized, as I said, I felt like I had to let go and, and forgive all of the past traumas and so on. And so I realized that it wasn't serving me to have all of that negative energy in me. I learned a word the other day, janky energy. <laughs> I didn't know that word before. I was like, I love it. I'm going to start using it. So I realized that you can't, it, it doesn't serve you to hold on to so, to, to anger, to resentment, any of it, or judgment. It, that's another thing. I, before the cancer, I, it's only now, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I was still quite a judgmental person to be completely honest. But then after that, I realized that, no, you can't be that way because it's just going to hold you back in life, you know, because you're going to be unimportant things, you know, trivial things, like worrying about how others live their life, you know, like, and now I, I can sense it and I just stay away. Like I used to have friends that would judge others so very quickly, even worse than me or quicker than me. And now I just stay away from that or I diffuse it very quickly because I'm like, however someone else wants to live their life, it shouldn't affect you. Be happy for them if they're happy, as long as they're not hurting anyone else. You know, it's not that I'm condoning if someone is a thief, then, you know, I'm not condoning that you're a thief. Call it, let's call a spade a spade, right? But if someone wants to have, I don't know, 10 sexual partners and they're not lying or cheating it doesn't have to be the way that I would necessarily want to live my life for me to accept that that's what makes them happy and so I learned all of that and I just realized how much happier I was even though I'd always been a very happy generally positive person but everything just multiplied you know everything was multiplied I remember um Again, I think it was before we went to Turkey with my friends or, or after, you know, one of them said, yeah, I think we went out for dinner and I was just like my normal self. And she was like, oh my gosh, she was like, Geisha is my first name, by the way, Gina is my second. She was like, Geisha, you're just f***ing amazing. How can you be like this? Sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to swear. You're allowed uh, to swear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was like, how can you be like this with everything that's, I was like, life goes on. It is what it is and life goes on. I'm not going to let this thing get to me. And so that's how I apply everything. You know, there's always a solution to every problem. And so I just look for the solution. Well, speaking of solutions, you now solve problems for other people. Yes. And it's the most amazing thing. So, oh, I didn't tell you about the transition. So... <laughs> From the corporate world. So after I recovered from, from cancer, I did all the treatments in London and the mastectomy and the breast reconstruction, the double mastectomy, breast reconstruction. And then we moved to Spain the following year. And uh, I managed to get a transfer from the office in London to the office in Madrid. And I did two years there. But I quit. I think from day one, I was like, this shit has to stop. This is not for me. And so that's when around about that time, I decided that I was going to be qualified as a personal trainer because I was already training friends in England, giving them tips on how to lose weight, etc. And it came naturally to me, even before the qualification. I did lots of reading and studying and so on anyway, on my own. And so I decided that I was going to get qualified around about that time. 
and I also got a teacher's um, qualification as well to teach English as a second language because it's in demand living in Madrid and being fluent in the language. It's a very easy thing to get into. So I transitioned into becoming a language assistant because of the bureaucracy. It's just hard to be like a real teacher. So we're called either native teachers or language assistants. So I did that for a while. And then the limiting beliefs kept creeping in. I was like, okay, I'm in my 30s now. I'm too old to become a personal trainer. It's not going to work. I should have done this ages ago. And, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh. And and, and back then, you know, it took a long time to recover. I couldn't do my pull-ups anymore because, you know, the fake boobs, these two bags of plastics kept, I think at one point they were pulling on a nerve and it was just, I was like, I can't even do my pull-ups anymore. Who am I going to be training? That kind of thing, you know, all those limiting beliefs. And, um, I ended up having to get the silicon, um, yeah, I had to get them replaced and so on. Um, but again, I just always knew that I had to survive. I think because of my daughter as well, I wanted to make sure that I was a good example for her because, you know, from my husband's point of view, he's always had things very easy. He's never had to come out of his comfort zone. So much so now that he's very, very risk averse and I'm the risk taker because I'm like, there's an opportunity here. Let's grab it. And he's like, no, let's pull back. Um, (laughs) Sounds like a good balance. (laughs) That's what he says. Yes, I guess it's worked. We've been together for, we've been married for um, 18 years, 17 years or 18. I can't remember. I have to count on my fingers. But um, yeah, so I just knew that I had to make it work. I had to show my daughter that regardless of the cards that you're dealt in life, you can make it work. You know, there's always a way once you have that drive, once you have that mentality, and once you can see it happening, once you know that you deserve it, then there's always a way to, to make it happen. So that's what I did. I, um, I, I'm not going to lie after my last operation, which happened here in Madrid, I did hit a rough patch because yeah, the last operation was really, really tough. And, um, I couldn't wash my hair by myself. I couldn't cook. My mother-in-law had to come around to prepare food for us. And, you know, my husband was doing his startup then. So he was just so, 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 so busy. And I just felt so helpless. So I really went into a a state of mild depression, um, self-diagnosed, I'm going to say. But I, I, at one point, I just couldn't see the light. I just couldn't see the light. I thought, when is this going to end? I'd already had about seven operations by then. Because the very first one was when I was 17. I removed two cysts, but they were benign when I was 17 and again when I was 23. So I was like, when is this going to end? I just can't see the light. I don't know when or how. I remember that I I started reading lots of, you know, self-help books as well. And they were really very helpful. I thought, Maybe there's something here in in this, you know, maybe there's a lesson, even if I can't see the lesson right now, it's got to be here somewhere. I recovered and then I told my husband that, I can't remember how long after, but I said, you know what, I don't want to do, I don't want to do the language assistant thing anymore. I'm really going to just bite the bullet and go for this thing. It's what fills me up. It really, really, really fills me up. And if I... I sound like a broken record, but if I didn't have bills to pay, I'd be doing, this is what I'd be doing anyway, you know, for free. I love it that much. And so he, again, he tried to talk me out of biting the bullet. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, not this time. (laughs) I said, 
I was like, nope. I listened to you when I was in London and look what happened. You kept telling me to wait until I found another job before quitting. And I just jumped. I just jumped. I said, this, this has to work. He was trying to say, why not do both? Why does it have to be all or nothing with you? And then it did work. It did work. Exactly. And I said, <laughs> see, you know, even when I was quitting um, the multi, the job as a um, working for the multinational, he was like, you can't quit. We've just got one fixed income now. You can't quit. What's going to happen if you don't get a job in six months? We're gonna... I said, okay, let's just reason this out here. First of all, your parents have got three homes. We're not going to be homeless. <laughs> so, you know, he was trying to make out that I was irresponsible. And I'm like, we're not going to be homeless, you know. But, of course, I understand, you know, many men have this pride that they need to be able to provide for their family and so on. So I guess he was thinking, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be asking my parents for anything. I said, if it's six months, then that's what we've got. We've got six months. Don't worry about the future because we don't know what the future holds. Right. Why are you worrying about what ifs? And what a, what a gift you learned during the cancer that it was about today. Absolutely. Always be in the now. Always be in the now. And sometimes, actually, I get frustrated with my husband because I'm like, gosh, can't you see what I've been through? You should really understand this. You saw this firsthand. We have to live in the now. You know, he always wants to put things off. He wants to put off the fun at a later date. I'm like, no, let's do it now. Now is all we have. So, yeah, that was also one of my biggest lessons, you know, and I'm grateful for it. I really am. That's beautiful. (laughs) If the entire journey for you from childhood and all that you went through and the cancer and all that was to learn that alone. Absolutely. That would be amazing. And I know you learned a ton of other lessons that you shared with us, which have been amazing, by the way. <laughs> oh, gosh, it is just the chip off the iceberg. I didn't tell you that I had to bake cookies and cakes to sell to take myself to school back in Jamaica, but maybe that's enough for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My parents couldn't afford the fare, but to pay the taxi and, 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 and the lunch money, I was like, no, I need to go to school. So I had to find a way. I always found a way. There's always a way. There's always a way. Always. Which is why you're a great entrepreneur, right? Because you have this ability, what I call a solopreneur, you have this ability mm-hmm. to see what's possible. Yes, absolutely. No matter what the circumstance. No matter what the circumstance, yes. And you're going to find the way. Yes, yes, absolutely. I will not stop looking until I see the way. Like everything led you here, right? Everything led you to what you're doing now, including the business time that you spent working in business, because now you have your own business, including the adversity you went through so that when you're working with your clients, you can be of service to them and understand what they're going through. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I see it. I'm compassionate. As I said, you know, my clients really enjoy working with me because I'm not judgmental. I, you know, I can relate. I can relate to certain, you know, just trivial things. It's not always about the big things, you know, but I go, I understand that without thinking, no, this is your goal and you need to do this and just, just get it done. No excuses. No, because things happen. You know, there are external factors sometimes that influence our course of actions. You're a beautiful and living example because I, I, I know some people out there are going, well, that's great that she did it. That's cool that she could do it. I'm not sure I have it in me. What would you say to somebody like that? 
Yes, um, I actually have a friend um, who who's the same, and and sometimes she says, you know, I know I sound like a bitch because I haven't been through half of what you've been through. I would say sometimes we can get a mentor, we can get somebody who believes in us until we start believing in ourselves. Um, and it doesn't have to be a paid mentor. For me, I didn't have a mentor when I threw out all of this. I only since uh, two years ago, I started, you know, like getting mentors. But prior to that, it was self-help books. So this friend, for example, you know, I sent her lots of books that she could read or listen to. And she's like, oh, I don't know. So it's very, it's very tough because I also think that you have to have even just a sliver of belief that will then help you to want to read the book. Mm-hmm. And then if I, if you can't find that, but you're willing to talk to somebody who might be able to help you do that, then that's a beautiful thing. And my friend is making steps now and she doesn't even realize that she's making steps. She actually bought a business book and she bought a self-help book and she started reading. And I was like, wow, okay. And she's signed up to a VA course and I was like, okay. And I see her posting in groups. Well, and my guess is that that's a testament to you because she saw this example as well. Yeah, I don't know if she has anyone else who's been through so many adversities. I don't know. But um, I would like to think that, you know, some of our chats have helped her somehow. And I said, have you seen your growth? Have you noticed that? And she was like, no, I can't see it. And I was like, it's there. Believe me, you're posting now. You never used to do that before. You signed up for this VA course. She actually lives here in Madrid as well. And she hates teaching, which is what she's doing now. So she's thinking, how can I get out of this thing? And she's like, I'm not sure being an entrepreneur is for me. And I said, you never know, you know, just um, give it a try and see what happens. And she's taking tiny steps and she can't recognize it, but I see it in her. So my message or my advice would be find somebody who's done something that you're looking, that you'd hope to do or that you're hoping to or looking forward to doing. And if you can talk to them, ask them some questions. Um, and if not, if you do have the money and can pay for a coach or a mentor or somebody, then do that as well. Because I guess I have realized that not everyone is self-led. So that's why, yeah, <laughs> I have to be honest. <laughs> so that's why coaches are important. And even I have a coach, even though I feel like I'm self-led, but we all need to be put in line sometimes, you know? Same. We need that mirror. I'm like you in that I'm going to get it done. I'm a go-getter. I'm going to make it happen. But even even I need that mirror. Even you need that mirror. We just need that little extra, that little bit, that little, so they can see things that that you can't see in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so I think that's really important. So that would be my, my advice. So if somebody wants to come get some of this amazing goodness, this, this inspiration and train and, and train with you online, where do they go? They can go to ginafit.com. Or they can go to Instagram. So www.junafit.com. They can go to Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Junafit Madrid because I'm living in Madrid, even though I train clients worldwide. They can go to Facebook at Junafit Personal Trainer. And that's where I'll be. You are so inspiring. Truly. I have lots of guests on here. And to witness, to hear what you've gone through and how you've not only taken it and run with it, but inspired others with it is truly incredible. So thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you for being with us. I really appreciate you. 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks a lot for having me. It was great. So if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to give us your biggest takeaway. Go Instagram, Gina. Instagram me. Let us know. And leave a review so that other people can also find this podcast and hear Gina's amazing story. Thank you so much.